Hey, what's up? It's the Start of the Something podcast. We're two bootstrappers building online businesses, and we're here to talk business. <laughs> I'm Matt, and this week I'm getting some help from Mark on how to test out a specific business idea. But first, some life and business updates. Mark, how was your week, man? It was brutal. <laughs> Bro, shit, really? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I was I was sick. Man. I, was, I was out of commission. Oh, man. Like, I... I tested negative for COVID mm-hmm. both times I tested, uh, but I think it might have been like it could have been because like it, it start I started the week with this horrible brain fog I couldn't concentrate mm-hmm. and I just gave up it's like forget it. I I can't get any work done I'll yeah. just veg on the couch but then a few days later the sore throat appeared and the mm-hmm. headaches and uh, it, but yeah and that's when I tested and it came back negative but but that. Brain fog just continued for the whole week. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then eventually it, it passed and now I still feel a little congested, but I, at least I can work again. <laughs> okay. That's good. Yeah. So I've been working on this over engineering thing that I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's a fine balance, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you know that at the beginning, you should not over engineer. You should mm-hmm. like, really be do some rapid prototyping and mm-hmm. having this tight feedback loop but eventually it catches up to you right like yes <laughs> so look, eventually right the business grows and then you you have to be concerned about scale so but it's still a fine line like i don't know am i really over engineering this thing or is this the right thing to be doing at this moment in the business because you're referring to the um to the architecture that's going to help scale out importing lots of different yeah, yeah, exactly. Because okay. yeah. I'm, I'm building this new importer for Power Importer. Mm. And uh, it, it's a perfect time to like not use the architecture that I used for the previous one. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that one is, is doing fine. But uh, like, I, I know that it, like what I had to do in the past is to scale vertically the server. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I know that eventually that's not going to fix the problem. So uh, I need to be ready to be able to horizontally scale instead. Right. So this new architecture will provide that. Okay. So my goal is to implement a new importer on this new architecture. Okay. Um, so I, I totally get what you mean. Like, you know, in the beginning you need to do the thing that gets the, that gets the job done. Like, yeah. and you definitely did that. And now the question is like, how, how, you know, when we think about investment, how do we want to invest? What makes sense going forward? Um, so how are you thinking about that now? Like how much time, so have you, have you arrived at the, the design? Uh, are you implementing it? And are you asking yourself questions like, how long am I willing to work on this? Do I have a deadline that, that I'm willing to accept? Yeah, th- those are all good questions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> the answer is, is I, I, I committed to doing it. Okay. For a very long time, I'd say for weeks, I've been just thinking about it all the time. Like Mm -hmm. when I'm in the shower, when I'm walking the dog, I just keep thinking of how I should reorganize the architecture. Mm -hmm. And I've been, whenever I have a chance on my computer, I'll throw up some prototypes to see how they work. Mm -hmm. And during that whole process, I did flip-flop often like, whoa, wait a second, this is is too much. Like I'm over-engineering this, maybe I, I should just simplify it. And then I play around with that, and then no, no, this this is still gonna have scaling issues. Like, mm-hmm. so then I, 
swing the other side and no, no, need to really over-engineering this. Right. So in the end, I decided that's the path I was taking. And, and then I s- probably spent a week on designing in my head. Okay. Uh, but then, yeah, end of last week, beginning of this week, I started coding it. Okay. And, it and it's going great. Like, okay. Yeah. So, um, cause the, the question that I'm asking myself, and it's funny, like, I, I'm just kind of been drawing on the, um, the freelancing work that I've been doing for the last year. And really kind of figuring out like, where's the, like, I'm asking myself the question of where's the value? Because a lot of time my clients are not necessarily technical. They, you know, they're coming to me because they see a technical problem and they don't know how to solve it. Um, and I kind of make the call on their behalf of like, when should you write a test and when should you over-engineer something versus, you know, like, versus just getting it done. What's maybe what's important is the end result. And I'm, uh, the question I want to ask you is like, how do you see how do you see the decision you made with respect to like a return on investment? Cause I'm just thinking like, would it be better to say like, let's say that this, that this new architecture is going to take another month to write. Would it make sense to stop to write the new importer on the old way, ship that as value to your customers and then go back and finish the work? Does it make sense to reorder that? Um, yeah. Um, well, f- first of all, I mean, I think it's, I- I'm not sure if it's an ROI question, mm-hmm. because in your case, um, it's the client that's going to have to pay the price in the future, right? Like if, if you decide mm-hmm. to, to not invest in, in architecture, you know, to be faster and yeah. to deliver it more cheaply now, True. they will pay the price in the future. True. So it, it's a hard decision to make. Mm-hmm. It's your reputation on the line. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you got you to gotta think of their their business, what's best for their business in this mm-hmm. scenario. But uh, in my case, it's like, I'm the one that's going to pay the price, right? Very true. So yeah, that I did think about that. I To just ship this importer now. But the problem is like, I'm at the stage now where like, yeah, I can ship it. But then once it's shipped, I need to, to do marketing for it. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Right? Like it's like, there's, there's no, there, there is no time when I can just stop. And <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So, and, and then, you know, the migration is going to be tricky. So this was an opportunity to say, no, no, I'm going to do this new one on this new architecture. Mm. Then I get to prove that the architecture works. Mm-hmm. If there's any bugs in it, I get to fix it. And, and then once it's proven that it works, it scales, then I can migrate the old importer onto mm. it. That's a great takeaway that there isn't really a lull period where you can say, Oh, I've got a few minutes. Like, let me, <laughs> let me redesign <laughs> this thing. It's like, no man, like technical work is hard regardless of when you do it. And yeah, like you say, that's very true. My, my grading, like, Oh yeah, man, Ugh. I haven't had to do a migration in a while. And I'm remembering, Oh yes. What a huge pain yeah. in the ass. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, I've done a few small ones for power importer. Mm-hmm. Like, I did, I think this is the third version of the importer that I'm running. Mm. And each time it went, it went pretty well. Mm. But I mean, it is, it is very hard, right? You, yeah. You, you sit there and you think of all the edge cases. Mm. Am I sure I thought of everything? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to have to do this for this new importer <laughs> at this mm. point. It's like, no, no, this is a perfect opportunity. Uh, it's a new importer, so it's gonna, you know, it's gonna start slowly. It's gonna have a few customers, and and if there's any bugs in the new architecture, this will be the time to mm. to get feedback and fix it. 
talk to the customers. And if once it's proven, then yeah, I will be migrating everything to it. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So and yeah, as the other thing also about this new architecture is that the the business logic is really broken down into simple functions, mm-hmm. which will make it a lot easier for me to outsource. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's, like it's it's the other thing that I'm thinking ahead of. Okay. It's if I want to ship a hundred different importers in the next year, right? If I can really scale it down to what needs to be done for each importer, mm-hmm. without you know giving some freelancer the keys to my Git repository and just mm-hmm. yeah yeah just uh, just add an importer in there. Mm-hmm. It's like that that is scary. I've never I've never done it before, so that's very scary yes (laughs) right so like instead if i can just say here here's you know here's a unit test write (laughs) write the function that passes yeah we had something like that uh, at a company i used to work for um it was a uh it was a module we called abstract billing integration um so we we operated in tons of different countries and there are so many payment processors like that you've never heard of in each country and it was like, oh, you come into a country and, or you, you, you launch a marketplace and the company that you launch with wants five, to work with five payment processors and all their documentation is only in Japanese. You're like, okay, well, this is, <laughs> this makes it hard, but then you can hire, um, eventually we tightened it up so that you could hire uh, contractors in that country to be like, I want you to do the, the integration with this provider. And like, we had like a bulletproof set of, unit tests with timeouts and all sorts of things to be like, all right, it has to, these, this is the battery of, of tests that have to pass. Yeah, exactly. No, that it makes it that, really, really, that's easy. what I envision. Mm. Like that would be the best case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah, that, that was my week. Okay. How was your week? My week is good. We're, um, so we're getting closer to the first drop, um, for the NFT project, this, uh, placewoops.com. Um, is working towards. Um, the smart contract has been done for a while. Well, done. Like it, it, I, There's been no real changes to it for the last while. We've been doing a bunch of testing and learning because um, it's such a huge area. Like understanding, like security is just a big hole in my knowledge. So just, and it's not something like you can just be like, I'm going to Google like smart contract security and like learn all there is to learn. Like it's this <laughs> ever evolving topic. So um, we hired an auditing firm. Uh, so, well, first of all, you know, we just reached out to a ton of people in our individual networks who can kind of like drop in, a, who can review our work and drop in some knowledge. We hired an auditing firm um, and they'll come back to us. They should come back to us tomorrow uh, with, uh, with the results of the audit. And there'll be like a back and forth on what they want and what they say. So that should be useful. Um, and then we're ready to roll. So uh, I've been working together with uh, another friend on the project, uh, making sure that everything's working and we've been deploying to different environments and that kind of thing. So like um, crypto has this very interesting uh, aspect to how you test because like, you know, you, you don't want to test everything on like Ethereum mainnet because everything is so expensive. You deploy a few you want to deploy a contract and it's like, that'll be $600 or something like that. It's pretty expensive, but there are these um, things called test nets. And basically it's, it's exactly the same technology, but it's just deployed someplace else. So you can 
run in test, but you're literally running it exactly as you would be in production. So we've been uh, we've deployed to a bunch of test nets, and we're we're going to list with OpenSea. Uh, what we're building is an NFT, so having it list on OpenSea and other marketplaces is important. So we've been using these test nets, like OpenSea's test nets, but we've been getting weird results. Like they, like I get that their their test infrastructure is not the same as their production infrastructure, and we are actually seeing the effects of that. Um, so we've actually stumbled onto a couple of bugs and like weird things. So uh, so we had to do a, a, a deployment to to a main net to, and like create like a fake contract or you know like a pseudo contract. Um, and see like the true production flow of OpenSea running. So that was a little bit of an adventure. But basically what I've learned is that the deploy, the deployment of crypto apps is like not easy. Um, there's a lot of concerns that you have to manage. So like, for example, contracts have owners and owners usually have very specific like administration functions that they can run. So for example, in our NFT, um, one of the contracts represents like, is the sale active at all? So if you want to enable the sale, you, uh, you as the owner need to make a call to that contract to enable the sale. Um, but like when you deploy a contract, you kind of do it through code. So you have to have a private key effectively of the wallet that you want to deploy with available to you on the machine so you can deploy. Um, but that's a security risk because now your private key has been written down somewhere and technically it's been, it, some developer could have seen it. Um, even if it was encoded, like you don't want to mess around with that. So there's a whole deployment, there's a whole system of wallets where you're like, oh, I have one wallet that I fund with like just enough money so I can deploy it to a blockchain. Um, and it's okay if the private keys for that get seen because it, that wallet's meant to be ephemeral. So it deploys the wallets. And then it hands control, uh, it, it, sorry, it deploys the contracts and then hands control over to another wallet. And like, it's this whole deployment pipeline. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so looking at some of the tooling around it, like it's okay. Um, it, it definitely helps me to do what I need to do. Um, but, you know, it's certainly not perfect. It's very immature. I would, I would put it that way. It's very immature. Um, and as well, like it, it, it echoes a lot of the problems around uh, like database migrations, uh, like I don't know how Ruby or how you do it on Rails, but like you might write a migration script that's like, oh, there's this table, and I want to add a column to this table, and then like that will run, but then the record of that change script or that change file having been run is stored in like a migration meta table or something like that, and it's like, oh, Matt ran this migration script on this day, and then maybe there's a checksum or something like that. Um, so I'm used to it with databases, but we don't have anything like that for the blockchain. So it's like <laughs> you run something and you're like, okay, well, I ran it. Like, has it been run before? Like, I, I don't really know. So like keeping track of what's been run and that sort of thing is, is like a piece that's missing. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of little holes of things I would expect to be there that just aren't. Um, but so it'd be really interesting to see a talk from, companies that are doing this at scale, like Z.run or others to be like, how do you manage your deployment pipeline for your contracts and, and that kind of thing? And like what we're doing is easy, easy, not sophisticated at all. If you were implementing like the diamond standard or like something that allows you to do like contract mutability, like that would be extremely useful to have like a very mature pipeline to be able to deploy all the things that you need. Um, 
so yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of holes of just like, oh, it'd be nice if we had this. Be nice if we had this. But at least for right now, it's because what we're doing is so simple. We can treat it simply, and we can you know we can just use our brains. But I'm like looking at it and like, mm, I <laughs> there's definitely room for mistakes down the road. We need to be very careful about like creating a. It's like the first step to fixing this problem is creating a checklist and like making sure we adhere to the checklist. And then after that, it's like, okay, how can we solve this with code? I'm surprised, like, because all these people that are working on, on these projects are developers, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, there's no non-technical people. Like, no. They're all developers with backgrounds in development. And you would think, like, that's the one thing that would be there is the, all the tooling and the in the staging and yeah. pipeline, like, you know, the continuous integration pipelines. Mm-hmm. You think all that was thought out and already built. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it like... um the if i had to say the ecosystem right now is amazing because there's so much i would just say that like you know the level of quality just isn't super high like there's a lot of really useful stuff that helps you get your work done but yeah it's just missing that polish it's missing those it's that 20 percent of the 80 20 like 80 percent of the work is there but that last 20 percent of like how do we how do you put something into production and track it and know it's working and it's managed properly like all that most of that stuff is missing um, and it, and I get it because most people are like, oh, I want to deploy a contract for fun or I want to deploy this for fun. And it's like, well, yes, but like, how would you do it if you were going to be like a company or if you were going to try to do this regularly and pr- you wanted a process so you could protect yourself from screwing up? Right. Okay. Maybe that's, that's the big difference is maybe a lot of these projects is like a single developer. Yes. You know, just like cowboy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. When I, when I deploy i deploy to prod directly oh absolutely yeah yeah is there money in my wallet fucking deploy let's go <laughs> exactly yeah well like talking about these these test networks and blockchains mm-hmm. like are those like run for profit by companies um yeah, how do are they pro- so they are free to use so for me for example like i want to test against like the rinkyb network which is like a test network of ethereum and like i'm not charged anything to use it um yeah i'm not even sure who operates it actually now that i think about it is it alchemy yeah i'm not really sure i just treat it like a public resource and it's totally free for me to use because that seems like yeah that seems like a business opportunity i mean i'm i'm surprised that you were you were having problems with with OpenSea's network like Mm -hmm. that that is just that is weird like Mm -hmm. that's the one thing they should do like perfectly is yeah is a test environment for you to, to test it all and to run it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like they have a, you can go to like testnets.opensea.com and you can see like they support Rinkyby, Mumbai, Gorley, like a few other test nets. But they, um, yeah, like we had ran a test because like the whole time I'm telling my client like test net, like running on the, like a, te- a Rinkyby test net is exactly the same as running on Ethereum. Like there's literally no difference. Yeah, there should be none. Yeah, but the downside is that the ancillary services like OpenSea create the illusion that something is different because their testnet, um, the, their software running on testnet is not working well. And you're like, well, is it a problem with OpenSea or is it a problem with the test network? And you're like, well, it's a problem with OpenSea, but we need to see a meaningful test of it working 100% back to front. Right. Um, and unfortunately, like the only way we could do that was. Um, moving, you know, deploying to a mainnet and spending a little bit of money. Like we deployed to a low cost blockchain 
called Polygon. Um, so it cost us like, you know, a couple bucks to deploy and like a couple cents to test. So that was, that was fortunate for us, but yeah, like it sucks that that's what we ended up having to do to prove for sure that it's working the way we think it does. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. Like they, they are in the position where they could, you know, provide as a service, this mm-hmm. test net, you know, and you would pay to use it. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but at least everything, everything would be there for you. Like mm-hmm. the testing, the deploying, the, yep. and then so, yeah. you just flip a switch. No, not, now we're going to do it in production. Exactly. And that's really kind of what's, I mean, the nice thing is the, the project that I'm using gives me that to an extent Like we, Oh man, like I, we went down the craziest rabbit hole yesterday of like, we were given, so the, um, we're using a project called Scaffold ETH, and it's just really useful for being able to say, I define a contract and I can deploy a contract to a local blockchain and I can interact with it using this like pre-built UI. It's really pretty, works great. Um, but um, in all of this, so it has a, a bunch of networks configured, so all the test nets and some of the end main nets as well. And we were looking at the configuration and for some reason that we can't explain, the all of the main nets have this configuration value to say like, oh, you, you have to describe what how much you want to pay for gas when you deploy this. And then we were like, why do they do that? So, and we're doing calculations and looking at this and it's like totally unexplainable. So um, we're I'm reading the source. I'm trying to figure out like, why did they do this? Like find the PRs that, <laughs> like find me the PRs that are, that, that where they added this line to see if there's anything, nothing can't figure out what the problem is. So we pinged some people on Twitter, but we're like, all right, well, I don't know, like we have to move forward. So we did a bunch of experimentation and we figured out what, well, we think we know why it's there and we think it's stupid (laughs) or like, I don't know, it seems really dumb, but like effectively this solution is like a drop-in. So you can literally say like, I want to deploy to this network or I want to deploy to this network. And for you, it's, it's completely, um, it's, transparent to you like you you're opaque i don't know it's one it's something to you you don't need to know how it works it's just you literally specify the network and that's all you need you just need enough money in your wallet so that you can support the transaction you're about to do um but that's only it's like great you got a contract into production but you haven't um but like what changes have been applied what contract is in production because it's not like the contract produces a hash value that you can then check against like it would make sense to have a hash value that represents the contract and store that as part of the contract so that you could always look and, and compare it to like a git commit, for example. Like I'm just thinking about some useful things that we've done in the past. Like, cause we've done that with, I've done that with binaries in the past. Like as part of your, as part of your Maven build in Java, you can, there's a plugin to create like an, an addendum file that attaches the git commit. So you can be at any point, you can just like, go to mat.com slash git and you get a commit ref. So you can always know what, um, what your service is running, what commit it's running. And like, same with contracts, what's been applied, how has it been applied? Um, what changes have been made to the contract over time? That's not always clear. Like there's a lot of process that's missing, just things that to help you understand, like what is the state of what contract is in, has been deployed and what is the state of it? Yeah, there's like a, like, I could totally see like a Terraform style solution for something like this. So if like, I want to, te- I want to Terraform the blockchain with a bunch of, 
infrastructure that represented as contracts and have how they're linked together and the permissions they have. Yeah. So I mean, like right now what we're doing is simple. So that's lucky for us. <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, there's some big apps out there, like the horse racing one, Z.run. I mean, that's a pretty complicated app. Um, they're doing a lot of different things. So it'd be pretty interesting to, to see how they manage all that under the hood. I'd love to see like a talk from uh, that. Would, that maybe that'd be an interesting conference actually to get together like like an like an NFT game developer conference of like how is this stuff getting built and what are some of the process lessons learned. That would be really interesting actually. I would totally attend something like that. Yeah one one hypothesis why there is none of that is that everyone knows it's a bubble mm. <laughs> and it's all gonna pop. Yeah, very possibly. And it's like, no, we're not investing in any, any of this mm-hmm. because, yeah, this, this is, uh, we're all doing it now to get rich quick, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very possible. It's very possible. Yeah, because like there's even with some of the things that I want to do. So, um, so one of the things that one of the hottest pieces of tech that I've run into is Gnosis. Um, it's, uh, it's referred to as a safe. It's just a smart contract with owners and owners can, uh, so this contract can receive money, but you, the owners can, um, can perform transactions against other smart contracts or against itself. And you have like a, you have a multi-signature, it's a multi-signature solution. So you can add a bunch of owners and have like two of three approval, three of five individual. But the idea is like they can make transactions against other smart contracts and vote on on the activity, that kind of thing. So it gives you like, you know, if you had a tre- if you wanted to have a multi-sig wallet as a treasury, for example, um, then you could like you could run a project like the project I've been like Swoops, for example, has a multi-sig treasury wallet. So you can um, it can withdraw funds from the smart contract, but I can't just run away with all the funds. I have to have like all the other founders um, vote um, to approve my transactions and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and it's very, it's a very nice little app. It's missing some quality of life features, but like one of the big things that I really need, or, you know, I've been, it's just funny how we identify all these like small problems, but especially with, um, at contract administration. So like when you deploy a contract to the, to the blockchain, you're deploying bytecode effectively opcodes. So, when you look at a contract, you can't nece- you can decompile it, but you can't necessarily know like I want to call that function, and that function has these inputs and those outputs. Um, so in order to interact with a contract, you need something called an ABI. Um, it's like applica- it- It's basically like an interface, but it's not binary. It's just like a it's like a string, a JSON representation of the function signature. Um, and so when you're interacting with a contract, you really need to know what the ABI is if you want to interact with it. Um, but the problem is that a lot of times ABIs are not made public. So you can go on, there's a, there's a project called Etherscan. So if the ABI has been uploaded, verified, quote unquote, to Etherscan, you can interact with a contract using Etherscan. But if the ABI has not been valid, verified, then you're like, well, how do I interact with this thing? So there's this thing that's missing. That's like a postman or insomnia, some kind of basically an API client for interacting with a smart contract. And Gnosis allows you to do this. And there are other open source projects that allow you to do it too. But there's a bunch of little features that are missing that are so frustrating. Oh my (laughs) God. Like you refresh the page and shit is gone or like, oh God, it's so irritating. 
So like I've been thinking for a while, like Gnosis, um, because I've been doing all of the development and I'm handing a lot of functionality over to the founders of, of Swoops. If they want to update a whitelist or an allow list rather, uh, if they want to update their allow list, if they want to enable a sale, disable a sale, do anything like that, you know, if they had a proper client, they could do it. Uh, but instead it's like, Matt, can you do this? Or I mean, like, that's how I see it going. And it's like, if I, if the note, if Gnosis's tool was a little better, they could, I could literally pre-configure everything for them and it would just work. Um, so there's a few of these open source projects that I've been considering, like, forking to just be like all right i need to improve this because there's some there's some shit that's really missing here yeah there's just so much opportunity for like yeah it's that last mile of people like built the thing because they could <laughs> like <laughs> one of the like one of those clients i found for calling smart contracts the best one that i've been able to find was a vanity project that someone built because they wanted to style it to look like windows 95 so <laughs> so you open it up in the browser and it, it's like a smart contract thing, but it's all styled in Windows 95. And you're like, man, I mean, it's cool. I don't care that it's Windows 95 because it solves my prob- problem. But like, it is very funny because you're like, the most useful thing that I've been able to find, <laughs> the guy wanted to style, or, you know, whoever wrote it wanted to style it to look this way. And you're like, oh man. <laughs> so yeah, I've just been real busy with the with the crypto stuff. Um, you know, I've been feeling a lot more creative since getting back from my vacation. So I feel like I see all these holes everywhere. Um, another one that, um, my, uh, my colleague and I were talking about is if you want to do like any crypto development, you have to have like 10 tabs open because you're like, Oh, I have to, I have to, um, convert Gway to ether. I need convert. I need to be able to convert from this currency to this currency, to this currency, to like understand everything. Oh, I need my client. Oh, my API client open so I can call a contract. I need this. I need that. Like the number of tools that you need and like converters and everything like this open is like, yeah, it's like, I need a Chrome window with tabs only devoted to converting shit in order to do any real development. So it's kind of funny to, um, so I, you know, even like I don't know if there's any money in a project like that, but just creating like a decent toolbox of all of the things and have them all be like one click away uh, would be really helpful, at least for in my experience. But yeah, all that to say, it's been uh, yeah, I've been busy with that, and yeah, thinking more about um, thinking more about other ideas, thinking about the the uh, the free the um, the idea we discussed the other day about. Um, assistance or virtual assistance for indie hackers. Um, I listened to uh, an episode of the wannabe entrepreneur podcast. Uh, Lydia was her name. Uh, Tego interviewed uh, a lady named Lydia who basically was starting this. So she was taking the more traditional approach of like, how can I sell myself as an assistant to people and have them come on and have me be effective. That was real interesting. It was really cool to see just in that interview alone, I feel like it confirmed a lot of the feelings that I've been getting from just like chatting with people about something like this. Um, you know, the fears around people um, not having enough time to give to a uh, to an assistant or how much is this going to cost? What's my ROI going to be? Is this going to be more of a pain for me? Am I going to have to manage more or package my tasks properly? So I've been thinking a lot more about that. Yeah, I haven't listened to the episode yet. It's but, quite good. Uh, so is she like, is she doing this full time? Yeah. And how, how many indie hackers is she supporting? Um, I think she is supporting like three at a time, I would call it. 
I think. Okay. Um, I, I think it depends on what she negotiates with each client because each of them will have different needs. I think at, um, if I'm recalling properly, she didn't want to work anything less than like one day at a time for someone, which is probably the right way to do it. Um, but it's funny, like she talked about how the varying needs, th- th- this is what I kind of latched onto. She was saying like, you know, I was thinking that I would go work with somebody or, you know, I work with 10 clients and these 10 clients kind of all need the same, it's all the same list of like 40 things. But she was like, you know, I've started to work with different clients and they all have different, um, uh, you know, they all have different needs. They all have different problems. And she was talking about like, oh, like one of them wants to start a podcast, but doesn't know how to edit. And she's like, but I also don't know how to edit. And, you know, that's a problem. And I'm thinking like, oh, that's very interesting in a situation like this. Because what if, you know, that, you know, if I, if I'm imagining kind of like e-sistence and boiling down a, a particular task into like five fields, because yeah, like it, it, any, any given task is really just a set of inputs, some activity, and then some output. And the problem for most of us is if you hire an assistant, so you say, all right, well, editing a podcast is a great example. All right. For, like, so the set of the, the set of activities is I have to learn how to edit and I ha- well, I ha- then I have to edit and then I have to like put all the stuff together and then upload it, blah, blah, blah. But to you as a person who wants this task done, really, this is just a set of inputs of I need to record a podcast and create audio files. And then the output of that process is that I have an edit, an edited podcast. So, uh, for, but for someone like Lydia, she's like, okay, well, I am that process. But if you were to like take a step back even further, you're like, well, you could be the process. That's true. Or you could find somebody who's good at that and take that product, take that productized service. Like Castos does this. They'll edit your podcast for you, et cetera. So I can just put a front end on their podcast. I'll deal with them. I'll deal with handling, um, up getting them what they need, et cetera, to make sure that you get that final output, published output of the edited podcast. Right. And it's like what you care about there as the as the end user is, am I getting the output that I want and creating that easy um, that easy set of inputs? So yeah, I've been thinking a lot more about like with her, she's talking about like, oh, I need to be able to edit a podcast or these skills that I need to build. And it's like, do you need to build those skills? Or is that something that you like the value you bring actually is figuring out how to solve that problem as quickly as possible? Right. So what have you like what where are you now on this idea like, yeah. after hearing this conversation? So I've been having some like informal chats with um, with just people in my network, like over coffee. I've probably talked to like four or five people. Um, I've been, so I'm at WeWork and there, I know a few people there. I've been squatting in my wife's office as well, <laughs> which is really <laughs> great for getting me out of the house. Um, but I've gotten to have, con- or I've gotten to watch uh, my wife and her co-founder, my wife runs a um, statistical consulting company or like a health biotech, a health data science company. And I've been watching her and her co-founder work and like the amount of not even one-offs, but just things that they're doing that it's like, oh man, like it's, it's a shame that you don't have an assistant that you can give that to that can just, it's simple enough that they could do it. Um, or, you know, I won't even want to, I don't even want to say simple. I just want to say straightforward. The process is straightforward of like the, the inputs are very clear. And the outputs are very clear. Um, and then as well, like I have a few other entrepreneur friends in Montreal who I've met for coffee and chatting with them about like, oh, have you tried to hire an assistant? How has it gone? And like, I really identify with a lot of the responses I've gotten of, 
Oh, like, I don't want to spend the time. It's like, do I want to hang out in Slack all day and answer their questions? Like, would I be better off just doing the thing myself? Um, yeah. So like, I definitely feel the, I, I understand the feeling of there is this inherent trade-off of I either spend top dollar for what people probably recognize as an EA, someone who you pay very well and you give like a defined budget and you say, go work on things or like, here's my list of things, go do them. And you're not going to field a lot of questions. Or if you're not at that level, then it's like, all right, well, I'm going to get an assistant, but like, how much is it going to cost? What's my dedicate? Like, how much time do I have to dedicate to managing them or helping them? Um, and figure it like, and it, it becomes about price point then, um, an effort level of effort. And people are afraid of that trade off because people are so busy. Oh, that's, this is so good. Like, this is, yeah, this is the kind of feedback you need, mm-hmm. right? Where they, they give you, actual examples that you could use yeah. in your copy exactly <laughs> like having to answer a bunch of questions on slack yeah like, that is great yeah so yeah so okay so you talk to people that yeah they've, they've experienced this problem mm-hmm. of knowing that there's vas out there mm-hmm. <laughs> knowing they can hire one yeah. but they haven't because of x obstacles like yeah. objections mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, it's so interesting to like hear about some of the exact problems of like, um, one of the people I spoke to was saying like, Oh, I had a, I had hired an assistant and I said like, I need this legal copy, um, checked for like GDPR compliance or, you know, like, is it, is it conforming to GDPR? And, uh, and he said, all right, I gave it to my assistant and told him, go, go find a lawyer, uh, to vet this, you know, et cetera. And that's a pretty amorphous problem, but the result was like, like so the result was uh, the assistant got uh, a a lawyer from outside Europe to evaluate the contract whether it was availability or price it's not really clear but that was the decision that was made so the founder was like I mean that's not how I would have done that I probably would right. have gone to Europe like the center of GDPR and gotten that person <laughs> right um and it's like interesting. So, cause I'm looking at that and thinking, okay, well, I see the process, but I mean, maybe that's a one off or maybe it's not, but it's interesting to say, like, to ask the question, I need a lawyer. Um, and it's like the, you know, is it a lawyer to review documents? Is it region specific? Like, I'm just seeing inputs to this process of like what's actually required here. Yeah. But you see, yeah, in that example, it was, it was like, it was obvious to them that this needed to be a lawyer. That is affected, you know, a lawyer that's in a country that is under the GDPR exactly coverage. Mm-hmm. That part was obvious in their head when they asked for it. Yeah, but it wasn't for the the person who executed it. Exactly. So yeah, it's there, there's so many of these, and it's interesting because like, uh, so I'm I'm trying to have a meet. I want to have a meeting with Lydia. I want to talk with her about some of this stuff. Um, because I'd, I'd like to hear about her experience of being an assistant and the types of problems she deals with and how she, because like, I guess what I'm interested in is how do you tease out what's important in these, when someone gives you a request, like how explicit do you need them to be? How often are you going back to them with questions? Does it vary by client? Does it vary by need? Like I'd love more information about how she manages that. Okay. So like uh, if you had to throw a percentage out there, like what, what percentage are you confident that this is an idea worth pursuing? So I think that, so I think it's worth pursuing 
The one question I have is distribution is a little bit tricky, um, mainly because the like positioning something like this is kind of hard. Like finding people who want an assistant or who who want. I mean, it's people who need help, but don't want to manage an assistant. And you're not going to be able to handle every request that comes your way. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm talking in circles and rambling a little bit, but like distribution is tricky here. This is a, it's a little bit difficult in that, like, how do you get people to understand what the service is? And then how do you get in front of them? The nice thing is that there are so many like obvious distribution centers I'm thinking of are, you know, like targeting people in entrepreneur spaces. Um, like microconf is a great example, the microconf slack, um, to some extent, also the, um, indie worldwide, um, you know, any place where entrepreneurs hang out, um, can speak to their experience or, or might be at least interested in trying something like this, especially if it's a frictionless onboarding. Right. Um, but yeah, like distribution is just the scary part here. Cause I think if you will, if you nail your positioning, I bet you that you could do like LinkedIn outreach for something like this and be like, Oh, Hey, actually you can literally like one click add somebody to your Slack or Microsoft teams or whatever, and start issuing commands and see how it works. And if you can have a clear um, benefit that you can pitch in a LinkedIn message, maybe people will be willing to try it. It's yeah. I I don't know. Distribution is is scary for me on this one. Oh, but it's, but it's easy to test though, right? Like if, if the distribution is cold outreach, Mm. well, you could try it like cold outreach 10, 10 people or whatever, 20 people mm-hmm. and see and have a landing page where they can go and, and then measure what's your response rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And in the beginning, you just want to get them on the phone and talk about mm-hmm. because you want to understand the problem better. Yeah. But at the same time, you'd be able to test the channel. Like, does it work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Like pop up a landing page with some copy on it, with some positioning on it, appealing really to that emotion of frustration around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then when the, like, you know, the call to action is uh, schedule the schedule an onboarding mm-hmm. call, right? Or like a, a free consultation. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the call to action. Yeah. The free consultation is like, talk about, we'll explore, you know, what can be outsourced mm-hmm. to a VA in your business. Yeah. And then take it from there. Mm-hmm. But of course, you do, you know you don't have the service yet. So yeah, once it's scheduled that call, it's more going to be oh yeah we're we're not ready yet or we're mostly just talking to customers to better understand their needs. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's that's really it. Like because yeah, it'll be. I, I think what would at least in my mind, what makes a business like this work is being able to figure out how you can take a task and break it into its inputs. Because like, that's the pro, like, at least from my own experience, from the people I've talked to, um, the success of any given process comes down to the constraints that you wrap the, wrap the process in. And the, and of course, you know, quality of output, depending on what the process is. Um, like if we take that legal documentation review as an example, um, so yeah, it's really just figuring out like what tasks can we start automating? Or not automating, but what can we create a process for? And then like the thing that I find fascinating about something like this or that I'm, I'm glued to is um, like say one of the things that you want done is I need competitor analysis set up for 
I mean, th- this is a very interesting one because it's so simple. Or like, I mean, I don't know how how widespread or or, or <laughs> desired something like this is. But if you think about the process for starting up, for saying I want some competitor analysis on this page, it's like, all right, well, the process there is like, as a founder, uh, I have to go out and figure out like what service do I want to use. I have to configure it. I have to test it. Um, I need to upkeep it. I need to pay for it, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, if we could literally wrap that into a form with three inputs and it's like, I want to check the whole site or I want just the landing page, the pricing page, whatever. And then, all right, you pay for that every month. But like, the, I love the idea of just sitting in a Slack channel and saying like, oh, you know what actually I also need is, I need the ability to track vacations or I don't know, or to run payroll. And it's like, hey, can you handle anything around, pay- what do you do around payroll? Or like, I need help with payroll. And then to be able to be like, awesome, let me like, I'm, I'm nested in your organization already. And there's simple things that you can give me. And it's really, it becomes like its own distribution for what are some new tasks, some new things that you can, that you can handle? What, what else can you take off of my plate? Yeah. I mean, that, that's also a distribution channel. If you made a Slack bot instead, mm-hmm. anyone can just add this Slack bot to their, to their Slack mm-hmm. and, uh, it can, it can even monitor messages mm. when it sees keywords. Exactly. <laughs> it yeah. sees keywords. They could jump in and say, hey, we could take care of that. <laughs> mm. But otherwise, people could ask it questions. Hey, can you, you know, do you do podcast editing? Yeah, because I, I love the idea of taking great services like Castos and other things. And you have busy people who just don't want to, like, you're just giving them more shit to do. Like, oh, I want to start a podcast. Like, great. Now I have to start a fucking podcast. <laughs> like, it's not it's not easy, even though there are tons of services out there to make it easy. It's like, how do you glue them all together? Yeah, well, exactly. You got to research it all and then test them. Yeah. Pick, pick one. Mm-hmm. And you get analysis by paralysis. Yeah. And then it's, yeah, another thing you have to do. Like, I, I yeah, I, I, that I wrote that down in my like swipe file of like, it's another thing you have to do that feeling associated with, it's another thing that you have to do. It's like, I don't know what emoji <laughs> <clears throat> communicates that best, but I, I don't know. I, I love that. It's just like, cause that's the, I, that is, that is a feeling that we all have. Like we're busy people. Like stop giving me shit to do. Right. But yeah, so I've been. Yeah, so it, it, I want to. This is something. Yeah, how can I test this? Because yeah, I mean, I you know, as a, as a podcast host, right? We get we get spam time by people yeah. offering things. Things. Mm-hmm. So you know, I've been on the other end of cold outreach, uh, but I have to be honest. Like, if someone cold outreach to me, saying, "Hey, you know, like, I see you're an indie hacker, right?" Like, mm-hmm. and talks about this. Like, you know, have you ever? Do, do you outsource to a virtual assistant, or mm-hmm. did you? Have, and if he did it, like, why not? You know, mm-hmm. I think I would, I would respond to that. I would say, yeah, yeah, I've thought about it, and just these are the reasons I didn't. Mm-hmm. And then you can pitch this idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at least the way I see this getting started is me being an assistant for a while and doing these things, and then slowly automating the things that make sense to automate, or you know, creating those processes, and then offloading them to other. VAs and other places or, you know, like automate when it makes sense and don't when it doesn't. I mean, yeah, I think so. I think, and I think you might operate that way for, for a long time, like, but but it'd be fine because you'd be spending your time making the, the top level decisions, like the important decisions. Like, all right. I, then you delegate to someone that says, find me 
a lawyer in a, one of these European countries exactly. that can review this contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, like you, when it comes done the, the, the big thinking. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like having, ve- like, it turns out that vetted lists of people or services is actually really, really valuable. Yeah. I mean, we see that all the time with contractors and freelancers. It's like, oh, I have a freelance designer and he's really good and I like dealing with him. And it's, and he's a professional. You're like, oh, thank God. Like somebody I can trust to just give something to. Um, yeah, like having, building lists of lawyers in different cities, different countries. Like, I mean, I mean, like all of that stuff is super useful. Yeah. I guess like, and when I think about potential risks for a business like this, I think it all comes down to cost. Like how do you price tasks so that they can be done? Uh, like they, they have to be, first of all, they have to be worth it. You need to be making money per task or per, um, I don't know, per automation, per flow. I don't know, but you know, it needs to be worth it for you. Um, and the people that you're speaking with need to value their time more than they value that money. Uh, and it might depend, like certain tasks might matter more than other tasks. So I'm not really sure how to square that, um, or how to get to the bottom of that. Maybe it's just like price testing and trying to figure out like, okay, what, what do we add a surcharge for? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I'm, yeah, I'm an indie hacker pretty fucking cheap yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but i do feel overwhelmed so i think there is there is like a there is a range there mm-hmm. where you could convince me yeah. you know like let me take off these things off your to-do list like mm-hmm. and i can do simple model okay is how much is my time worth and mm-hmm. that is does it cost less than that then all right <laughs> yeah well i mean like i it'd be interesting to talk to people but that might be part of the onboarding flow or like, of just like, okay, it's, let's be super real about how much your time is worth. And it's like, how much do you pay yourself every month or every year? All right. This is how many working hours and you're an entrepreneur. So you're working more. And like, <laughs> so like you're what you, you're underquoting yourself by a lot and you're underpaid. So let's say that your time is actually worth this. So anytime a task is going to cost less than this number for the number of hours, then you need to think like, Oh, actually, maybe I need to just pay somebody to do this. Yeah, no, that that's a good point. And if they tell you outright, like that number, yes, you can base all your decisions based on that. Anchor them, yeah. You anchor yeah. them to a to a specific number, and it's like, right. all right, they, yeah. they come to you and they say, all right, edit my podcast, mm-hmm. and then you you say, sorry, you know, sorry, that that can't be done, right? mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> because the number they gave you is too low. Exactly. Or but write transcripts for my podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that can be done. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you have you definitely have enough stuff to test. Mm. Like you have enough information and leads to to do an experiment. Is mm. what I mean. Yeah. Like start with one landing page that has one offering with a call to action to to do a free consultation. Do test some cold outreach, and then yeah, and then pivot mm. or explore. Yeah. More. Yeah, I was thinking about like taking Lydia's. I don't, she doesn't make her pricing public. I think she mentioned how much she charged per day in, um, in her, in her interview. And I was like, well, that feels low, um, considering how much work she's putting into different things. But, um, just like stealing her pricing and then being like, awesome. This is the bare minimum that, that I have to be and that I'm willing to be an assistant for or that like, I think people should be paying and then. Uh, having that be the pricing and the offering. Because I don't want to be like, I'll be your assistant for free while we work this stuff out. It's like, no, you have to be paying something to, to show that yeah, this is a burning absolutely. problem for you. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, and I mean, of course, this is not your dream job, right? No. Like, you do not want to be an assistant no. to Indigenous. Maybe. Probably. <laughs> but, you know, eventually, like, you replace yourself at a very high level mm. EA. And, yep. Or a lot of it is automated. doesn't even need to be replaced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the big, yeah, the, the big risks I see right now are just how much does each ta- task cost? And is there enough repeatability where automation or like wrapping the process um, makes it lucrative? Because that's really all a business is, is just um, a repeatable process. So it's like, can we make a repeatable process around doing a competitor site, um, watching competitor site for changes? And it's like, literally all it is, is just onboarding for that site. And you pay a flat fee. It's a productized service for that one thing. And that just operates inside of the EA, inside of this like VA system. And yeah, it's just out of the box. This is what you get. And you get, you pay this much a month going forward. And every month you'll get, uh, you know, as soon as something happens, you'll know about it or you'll receive an email digest at the end of the month or whatever. But like, it's a clear process with ins and outs. Absolutely. I I think there's so much potential solution wise. So you should concentrate on the problem first. Yeah. Okay. Because, so yeah, solution, yeah, there's so much. Like like you said, at the beginning, you can outsource directly to mm-hmm. other services like Castos or Audience mm-hmm. Ops or whatever. Yeah. But eventually, you might want to replace them with your own service. Mm-hmm. But because it, because it was opaque, they won't even know that exactly. you swapped the service out. Exactly. <laughs> right? You're, just, you're providing the service. So it doesn't matter who executes it. Exactly. Is it another productized service or is it your own? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. And then, yeah, then provide your own solutions. You can have like a, a newsletter that you can mm. constantly update them with new offerings. Hey, by the way, like, did you ever think of starting a podcast? Like we offer white glove and yeah. everything, get you up and running. Mm-hmm. So you're giving them ideas every every month or every week like of new things they could outsource or, or explore that wouldn't cost them any more time. Exactly. Yeah, that's one of the things that I, I'm hoping to talk to Lydia about of like, when you sign on with somebody, do they have a very, do they have lists one through 10 or items one through 10 that they want you to come on to help with? Or do you come into the organization and kind of like start taking things off of them, like nominating things um, to like continue to show your usefulness or to, to um, impress them? Cause it'd be really interesting to just be like, Oh, I pop into the Slack channel with Matt VA and, t- and, and type podcast. <laughs> And it's like, here's all the services that we have around podcasts. Um, and I can help you with it or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So what's, what's the next action? Okay. So I think the next action would be, so I've had some coffee chats with people and I've, I'm starting to get the feeling like I, I understand the frustration or I'm starting to be able to put the frustration into words. Um, I think I can go on the microconf slack and ask people, I'm sure there's a couple channels around assistance and that kind of thing. And I can ask some people um, about their experiences. And I like the idea of, I, I need to talk to people who don't know me. That's the, I think that's the most important thing next. So I can accomplish that a little bit through microconf Slack. And I don't know, maybe I could do some outreach, some cold outreach to people. So I would need to do some, I need to do some simple copywriting. Would you do it as a cold email or would you do a landing page and then like direct people to that landing page? Like for, for cold email, the best approach is that your goal is to start a conversation by email mm-hmm. with them. So the first email you send should not have a link yeah. or a sales pitch. Or yeah. It'll it kill. should really be, 
hey, I saw you're an indie hacker. Like, mm. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm building a service. I'd, I'd need some feedback. Like, mm. I'm just curious, did you ever hire a VA? And if not, like, why, why not? Mm. And then when they respond, then after that, it's, oh, well, well, here's, you know, here's a landing page. Like, mm. but uh, yeah, I think, I think cold outreach would probably be what I would test first. Because mm. I think it's the one that's, that can be automated and scales and, or, I mean, like, or you could try, you could try ads also. Yeah. But that, you know, that, I don't think that's going to scale. It's too expensive. Hmm. But at the beginning, it would get you feedback quickly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So going to a couple different places to, um, like I can go on indie hackers and I can DM people. It'd be useful to DM. Well, yeah, like I'm going to, yeah. Cause I guess part of this as well is yes, you're gauging interest, but also like trying to build profiles for people to say like, all right, well, you, what position are you in? Are you, first of all, are you making any money? If you're not making any money, you're very unlikely to pay for stuff like this probably. Um, yeah. And just doing more cold outreach to people to try to understand like, who are you and what is your situation when it comes to needing help? Well, how about the four people you had coffee with? Mm. Would any of them pay for this yeah. from you like now? Yeah. Probably. So the, the, the guy who hired the, the, um, the person to do document review or the assistant that found document review, that yeah. that person would, would likely pay me. Yeah. Okay. You could start with that too. Mm. Like I know, I know you, you want to make sure that strangers will also pay for it, mm. but this, you know, like this could be, well, I mean, it's an experiment to test whether you can do it mm. and it would also provide a use case that you could put on the landing page, mm. but they might, yeah, it, it could be an avenue. Mm. I mean, it, it um, yeah, it would force you to actually, do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. And once you do it, you're doing it, you're like, you feel obliged to continue doing it. Mm -hmm. Then it might be easier to, yeah, I have to throw up a landing page because I'm doing this. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Like I, I agree. Like MicroConf, Indie Hackers, Indie Worldwide, these, these are, they're all the places where you want to be. Mm -hmm. But I think it might be, it might be harder there to, to start a conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to, I don't know, like as an experiment, it's hard to measure. Like, yeah. I like, I like to be able to say, I'm going to do this and this is the outcome I'm looking for to know whether it was successful. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I'm going to post in microconf and you know, I want five people to get on a call with me. Mm -hmm. Like that's my goal. Yeah. But like, I don't think, I don't think microconf is going to be a good channel just because it's kind of a one-off thing, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise you're going to, you're going to, be known as a, as a, as a spammer. Yes. Yeah. Right. Cause you're going to have to constantly every week, like go engage the community mm -hmm. so that you're, you're in front of them and they know that you offer this service. Yeah. So for that, it's not good. It's good for like a, a one-off, like mm -hmm. I'm going to go in there and see if there's interest, but, uh, but cold outreach that is continuous. Like yeah. you can go on for, Forever. for a long time mm -hmm. with that. It's reproducible and, mm -hmm. And can be fully automated and outsourced. Yeah. And can be one of your first offerings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once you've mastered it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. Okay, so I guess for cold outreach, the thing that I need to be thinking about is, um, or rather, I don't know that I can plan ahead for it, but starting to figure out like what type of profile is somebody that I need to talk to? Like, how do you... Like, am I reaching out to the to executives of, of companies that are like 10 or less? Because that certainly seems to be the sweet spot, like the SMBs, um, SMBs of anybody who are doing anything like technical. 
or at least I know them best. They're, they're yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not on LinkedIn, so I really don't know. I I know this. I've seen lots of use cases in in the worldwide like people who do this. Like that's how they get their leads. They do LinkedIn outreach on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend that owns a company that does that. Yeah. So I know. So me, because I'm not on LinkedIn, I don't know what to do there. But what I would do is I would I would DM people on Twitter that I know are indie hackers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking as well. It, I, as we were talking, I was making a little list in my head of like, who are some people who I know are making money, who are around the size that I'm thinking of and right. and are fucking busy. <laughs> I mean, at least they would all be willing to have a conversation, right? So like like Anthony from Indie Worldwide. Yeah. I am sure like he is super busy trying to grow the community. And he also does other stuff. So it's like, I'm sure he'd be willing to get on a call just to talk about it. But even if he's not in your price range. Yeah. And he, he would also offer great feedback because he's because he knows indie hackers. He could also give you some referrals to other indie hackers that might be interested in this. Totally. Or more in your price range. Okay. So immediate next steps. I just need to do some cold outreach. So maybe it's like, all right, have five conversations with people I don't know. Get five people to talk to me. <laughs> And whether that's through, I mean, cold outreach would definitely, like, I, I'm going to have to do some copywriting anyway to get people to answer me. So whether it's on a web page or, um, or just through DM or anything like that. So it seems like the easiest thing to do is forget the web page and just write the copy and then send it around. That's much faster. Okay. So I can get five people to talk to me. I wonder how many messages I'll have to send. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that would be the interesting part. Yeah. Like if you reach, if you reach out to 25 people and five people like get on a call mm. either hey that's not that bad mm. that's a 20 percent success rate i mean that would be pretty compelling 20 percent right, cold exactly. outreach would be insane either i'm, I'm onto something yeah like holy shit cool i can run with that cool yeah that's really all i have i uh i've got other business ideas and things to think about but we're, we're running long so I'm, I'm probably good to stop there no, this is definitely, this is, yeah, this is really interesting. So like starting next week, how much time do you have to spend on this project, this idea? Yeah. So I'm still working full time. Well, like, you know, across all my clients, I'm still working a ton. So uh, how much time will I have? I mean, Wednesdays tend to be my admin days. So I'll race through all my admin work and then see, um, see how much I can get. So if I limit, you know, the <laughs> Time boxing is fun because <laughs> you're just like create the constraint. You're like, doesn't matter how shitty it is. I got to do it. No, what are you going to do? So I think in the next week I can probably scrape together. Plus working on the weekend, um, I could probably scrape together like six to eight, six to 10 hours, something like that to, to send a bunch of cold outreach and see if I can meet with people. Yeah, no, that's totally doable. Hmm. So yeah, I, I think I'll probably time box it to be something like I need to come up with uh I just need to write the copy and then figure out how to like cut it down based on where I'm having the conversation. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would only start with one idea, right? Like the, that one offering you're thinking of the, the first version of it, right? Like it might, it might pivot a bunch of times right. in the next, in the next few weeks. Are you referring to like, like for example, the competitor analysis, like a single offering like that, or more like the assistant you're in, in general? Yeah. I think more the, the assistant. Like, oh. The, the idea that, okay, I will be your, your top level assistant mm. that you can outsource stuff to. Right. And because another approach is you do like Lydia, mm-hmm. but you, you offer the same thing as Lydia does, which is I'm your virtual assistant yeah. and I do everything. But 
the truth is maybe she outsources a bunch of stuff in the back. Could be. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's one offering where you offer that. No, no, I'm, I'm your virtual assistant, but you actually outsource everything. Mm-hmm. But, or this offering is more like, no, no, I will find you your, vir- you know, I will find you your virtual assistants or another offering is I will be the, the proxy between, mm-hmm. between your needs and virtual assistants mm-hmm. and other services. I see what you mean. Sure. But I would just pick one, pick one of those recipes and test out. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I wonder how people react when it's like, you ask me to edit a podcast, but like, totally, honestly, it's, it's not me editing it. I'm, I'm paying a service to edit it and I'm passing the cost off to you. Cause if people just want minimum wage labor to do something, it's like, well, you don't value the outcome. So like, why are we here? Right. Are you, yeah. Like you don't want some, yeah. Like the, the customer I, I, want are the ones that understand the value in the output like sure everybody is going to be price sensitive to some point but like it's like oh i, I only work with unpaid interns because i'm too cheap to <laughs> to pay for anything it's like i get out of here i, I don't want to talk to you okay cool awesome sweet I'm look, looking forward to an update yeah yeah we'll see how it goes cool all right i will catch you next week awesome so uh show notes are available at start something.com so if you like the show rate and review it on your favorite podcast player it really helps people find the show Catch you next week.